Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I have some good news and I have some not so good news. I'll start with the good news. We have Kelsey Bowler, co-host of Problematic Women, back on the show today. Also, I have Virginia Allen, the one and only, as always. Hey, Lauren. Always good to be here. But unfortunately, the bad news is this is Kelsey's maybe last show. We're hoping to have her back, but this is officially her last show uh, in a heritage capacity. Kelsey, do you want to give an update of where you're going? Yes, this is crazy to even say out loud, but after nearly six years of working at the Heritage Foundation and the Daily Signal, I am moving over to the Independent Women's Forum and hopefully staying in um, some part-time contributorship capacity with the Daily Signal. Um, But yeah, making this move sort of in light of motherhood, I just uh, love being a mom and want to spend as much time as possible, home with my baby girl. But I'm very excited to be joining you guys today, and I have a feeling this will not be my last appearance on the show. We're not going to let you (laughs) just disappear, Kelsey. Don't worry. We're going to have you back. Um, Yeah. We always want to hear what you're up to and what you're doing. And I mean, this this show really is, this is your first baby. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it totally is. But I am not worried at all about its future because I know Virginia in your hands and Lauren's, um, it is going to continue reaching women across this country and beyond. I love when we find out we have listeners all around the world. So thank well, you guys. Well, we have a really great episode to send you off, Kelsey. Up on today's Problematic Women, we'll be discussing Ivanka Trump's Women Empowerment Initiative, pro-abortion videos on the popular social media platform TikTok, and then we'll dive into a very interesting conversation about the history of Cosmopolitan Magazine and its role in hijacking the feminist movement. In order to do that, we're going to play some sound bites from an old interview Kelsey stumbled upon with the former editor of Cosmo, Helen Gurley Brown. As you'll soon find out, many of her then-progressive views would be very problematic in today's day and age. All right, you guys, I have a lot of work to do. Kelsey, I'm going to let you handle headlines, but I'll be back. I really want to talk about Helen Gurley Brown. I guess we'll let you go, Laura. <laughs> This is a great topic to discuss for Women's History Month and also in light of International Women's Day, which just happened to be this past Sunday. The Women's Global Development and Prosperity Initiative. This was launched just over a year ago by Ivanka Trump, and it's aimed at empowering women through the economy. According to the White House, the initiative seeks to reach 50 million women in the developing world by 2025 through U.S. government activities, private-public partnerships, and a new innovative fund. The initiative has rightly targeted three key areas— One, closing the women's education and skills gap training in order to increase women's global participation in the labor force. Two, it highlights the promotion of women's success as entrepreneurs. And three, it creates and enables good economic environments for women. The World Bank estimates that women's participation in the labor force has been decreasing gradually over time. In 1990, the percentage of women was almost 51%, while today it is only 47%. Uh, This has been attributed to cultural barriers, unequal market opportunities, gaps in training and education programs, 
Um, those are just a couple of the reasons. Um, Virginia, I have to say this initiative, it's it's really a bipartisan effort um, that no one in the mainstream media talks about, probably because um, I guess there's not that much controversy surrounding it. But it seems, especially in light of International Women's Day and uh, Women's History Month, we should be talking about it. Why do you think we're not? <laughs> yeah, it, it really is a missed opportunity for the media. They should be highlighting this. Uh, sadly, I, I think there's two reasons why they're not. Uh, like you said, um, you know, it's it's good news. Good news doesn't always do very well in the media. So they, they tend to focus on the dramatic stories, the more negative stories. Uh, and then, frankly, uh, it's an initiative that is headed by Ivanka Trump, and she has the wrong last name. <laughs> so, you know, if, if it was headed by someone else, I think it would be getting a little bit more attention. But the, the liberal mainstream media is obviously very hesitant to, to attribute anything positive to the Trump family. Right. So it actually uh, reminded me of a book I read back in college um, by the very liberal uh, New York Times columnist Nicholas Kristof and his wife Cheryl Wadong um, called Half the Sky. And it was all about how women uh, really hold up half the sky. And if we can empower them uh, through a job, work opportunities, education opportunities, um, we're not just empowering women. We're not just lifting up women. We're lifting up the entire planet. And I think Ivanka Trump has done such a good and important job through this initiative. Um, Some of it entails public funding. Some of it uh, entails private funding. And this this is funding through organizations and multinational corporations and nonprofits who are stepping up and seeing the benefit of using their own money to help lift these women up. Another reason I don't think it gets covered much is because it does sort of tap into the private marketplace to solve problems. It doesn't just rely on the federal government um, to to fix the ills in these different societies around the world. Um, I, I, that's a huge reason, I think, why it's been so successful. Rather than just throwing government money at a problem, it actually um, gives women opportunity instead of handouts. Um, so I think this is something that we conservative women can use our voices for um, to make it known that this does exist. Um, if you know anyone who happens to work at a private company that is, um, you know, looking for ways to uh, to empower women, uh, let them know about this initiative that it exists. And there's many ways to get involved. Um, I, I'm glad we're we have the opportunity to give it a shout out on this program, and and I hope we continue to cover it. Yeah, no, it really is such an important initiative, and you know, I I had the privilege. Um, for a year of my life to live in an African country and just kind of seeing that difference of, of growing up as a woman in America and the opportunities that I've had versus, you know, these beautiful women and girls um, in South Africa where I was that the challenges in front of them are much, much more difficult and the hurdles that they have to overcome are much higher. So really, yeah, any ways that we can see our nation and the people of our nation really going in at that grassroots level and partnering and building up and strengthening those local economies, that is truly what makes such a difference. Absolutely. 
All right. Well, we are going to switch gears uh, and talk about a social media story. We always have to work some sort of social (laughs) media into this show. So TikTok was reported to be the fourth most popular app of 2019, according to Social Media Today. But there is a new TikTok trend that really, frankly, is a tragic commentary on how we as a society view life. For those of you who don't know, TikTok is one of the newest social media apps that is a platform where you can post short videos, which are usually comedy or or a dance video. However, there is a new trend on TikTok that started with a young girl posting her abortion story online. TikTok removed both the user and her video, but Insider described it like this. The user posted a 20-second clip which began with an apparently positive pregnancy test belonging to her friend Ashley. The girl shows off her stomach before the video follows them to a Planned Parenthood clinic, where they point out a solemn couple in the waiting room before cutting to Ashley on the table in a medical gown. The video, which was posted from a now private profile, but posted in some tweets, is overall lighthearted. Set to a remix of Bruno Mars' It Will Rain, Ashley nervously laughs and fist pumps before she's in the exam room. Well, as expected, TikTok went crazy over this video. Some girls began posting similar videos and coming out in support. New York Times reporter Taylor Lorenz tweeted, It's great the more women can speak out openly and candidly about their abortion experiences online. I wish I had access to this type of content at a young age. Other women, like us, were disturbed with this trend. One Twitter user wrote, These abortion celebration TikTok videos are something else. If you want to abort your kid and kill your own offspring, I'm not going to be the one to stop you. But why do these chicks celebrate abortions as if they're collecting Pokemon gym badges? So, Kelsey, (laughs) I was definitely disturbed by this. Um, You know, why do you think with this video and, you know, people's reactions... I feel like it it really is just this kind of sad commentary on the way that our society as a whole views life. But what are your thoughts? I was too very disturbed by this video. I hope that our listeners haven't had to watch it. But I will say the two things about the girl. She looked very young and she looked visibly pregnant. And that really pained me, especially after being pregnant myself and and having a daughter, I know that by the time you are visibly showing, you're pretty far along. I probably didn't start showing until close to 20 weeks. And, you know, everybody's a little bit different. But for you to be showing means that uh, that's a serious abortion procedure that you're walking into. That's not just popping an abortion pill, calling it a day. Not that that even happens when you do go that route. I don't think anybody walks into a serious medical procedure fist pumping, celebrating, singing Bruno Mars. And that's my biggest regret about this video. I just I think of this girl, what she might think when she looks back at this video 10, 20, 30, even 40, 50, 60 years from now. I think it's eventually going to cause her a lot of pain that she can't see now. And that's why it really pained me to see uh, far left so-called feminists in the media try to capitalize on this video saying we should see more of it because I think that is really taking advantage and exploiting young girls who don't fully know the consequences of the decisions that they are making. I 
give credit to TikTok for removing this video. Mm-hmm. I wonder if other social media websites would do the same. I mean, somehow it's still circulating out there on social media. I saw it on Twitter, so Twitter must not have as big of a problem with it. Do you know anything about TikTok and why they decided to take it down? You know, I I don't. But like you, I agree that I'm really glad that they did. I would like to believe that it's because they recognize the fact that, you know, this is furthering a narrative that is not helpful to young women to kind of have this uh, really light, um, almost fun atmosphere around It's not even light, though. It's like, I am proud. I am excited. Like, it's something you would see before a sports game, like getting pumped up which is just so weird. Yeah. No, it is it's weird, it's bizarre, uh, and it's not helpful. I mean, for for any woman who has walked through an abortion, I think very few would attribute that kind of emotion of getting psyched up for like a sports game to walking through an abortion, even if you are pro-choice, even if you're fine with abortion, still a traumatic experience, an incredibly hard decision to make uh, and something that we shouldn't treat lightly or just kind of throw it off as, oh, yeah, this is a funny little TikTok video. Right. And for the left to sort of be making a hero out of this girl, um, again, that I have a lot of regrets about them doing that. And and we sadly are seeing this more and more when it comes to different issues. I think of climate change and and Greta, who has gone viral. Um, It it seems like political movements are are latching on to young children. We also saw it in the case of Parkland and some of the other shootings. They're latching on to young children to further their political agenda. And some of these Young children might grow up to stand firm in their beliefs, but with something as as deeply personal and medically heavy as an abortion for someone who is visibly showing, it makes me sick to my stomach that we have adults who are exploiting that. It's one thing this young girl clearly doesn't understand the consequences of her decision yet. Adults should know better, and we should not be making a hero out of her, whether you're for abortion or you're against it. Yeah. Now, as adults, it's our job to really be protecting these young people. And obviously, it was her choice to put the video out there, but then it's adults' choice to continue to promote it in the media and talk about it on the news. Right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. But before we do that, I want to share a little bit about a podcast that I personally love listening to. It is the Daily Signal podcast, which brings you the top news of the day. Our own Virginia Allen co-hosts the Monday edition with my colleague Rob Bluey. They bring you interviews with lawmakers, authors, and conservative activists from across the country. And of course, which I personally love, they start you off right every Monday with a good, positive news story. Enough of the bad news. There's enough bad news going on. (laughs) We need more positive stories. So if you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out the Daily Signal podcast available every weekday morning. It's because of support from listeners like you that we can continue to produce podcasts like Heritage Explains and SCOTUS 101. And you can help us keep it up by going to www.heritage.org slash podcast today to make your tax-deductible gift. All right, I'm back. And Kelsey, I am so excited for this segment. Me too. So Lauren and I are in the process of working on one of our favorite documentary projects we have done to date. 
It's based on the life of a woman named Sue Ellen Browder, who is a former cosmopolitan writer turned Catholic. The video is based on her book called Subverted, How I Helped the Sexual Revolution Hijack the Women's Movement. Highly recommend if you like this podcast, you will love that book. Love it, love it, love it. So Sue Ellen Browder worked under a woman named Helen Gurley Brown. It must be a three-name thing. (laughs) (laughs) So Brown launched the popular magazine Cosmopolitan into fame after writing the best-selling book, Sex and the Single Girl. Sound familiar? (laughs) Yes, Sex and the City was a spinoff. Helen Gurley Brown served as the editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan for over 30 years, and it was under her... That Sue Ellen Browder, author of this book that we love, tells us how she was trained to write fake news. Seriously, she has the documents to back it up. She has her training materials that taught her how to make up different experts, place different stories in different locations, all to further the ideas that Cosmopolitan was pushing under the sexual revolution. So what were those ideas at the time? Usually we are relying on other people's accounts of those ideas. It's kind of rare that we're hearing them from their source. But as I was doing research for this documentary that Lauren and I are working on, I stumbled upon this fascinating interview with the former editor of Cosmopolitan magazine, um, Helen Gurley Brown. Uh, This was from the mid-1990s. She was being interviewed uh, by Richard Hefner, who was an American historian, a broadcaster, and a professor at Rutgers. His show was called The Open Mind. um, And we thought it'd be fun to play a couple sound bites um, so you can hear from the horse's mouth what the so-called feminists (laughs) were saying way back then. Let's get started. What has happened to women in these three decades plus since she gave it its spin, her spin? Helen, what's happened? The inside woman is the same as she always was. She hasn't changed. She has the same emotions, the same needs, the same yearnings. She's the same person. What has changed is the world (coughs) around her. (coughs) Excuse me. Didn't know I was going to do that so early. Okay. So many more opportunities are there for her. The world has opened up in terms of jobs, and now half the enrollment in law school, female, half the doctors, female. She can be, she can get in and do it and be it in any field virtually. So it is out there for her to achieve, and she is achieving. But the inside woman, person, girl, female, if I may, She wants the same thing. She always wanted what she wants now, which is love and affection and cherishing. She wants a great job. She wants work to do. She may or may not want children. She is who she is, but the world has changed for her. Lauren, what did you think when you heard that? It's so interesting because on its face, I would say it's mostly true. I think the only thing I would change is that Women don't necessarily want a great job, but they want purpose in their life, but they want love and they want affection. Um, Most of the time they may or may not want children. Um, And the world is changing. And I think her point is that even though, you know, we might have gone from when women 
couldn't vote 100 years ago until now, women have so many more opportunities. And, and But at the end of the day, they don't really – they haven't changed internally, which I think is a really interesting thing to kind of wrap your mind around. Yeah, that's exactly what she was saying there. The world around her is changing, but the Cosmo girl, the Cosmo woman is and was always the same. And, and what that woman wants is love, affection, cherishing, a great job. She may or may not want children. Um, she is who she is, but the world has changed for her. And that sort of leads us into our next clips and, and the theme of the documentary that we're working on. I love um, what Sue Ellen Browder, the former writer for Cosmo, said to us about the definition of propaganda. She said propaganda is half-truth, selected truth, and truth out of context. And, you know, if you think of propaganda, what she's talking about today, we would probably call it fake news. And what Sue Ellen Browder is telling us is that these stories are sometimes hard to spot because overall, many parts of them ring true, but buried inside are half-truths, selected truths, and truths out of context. And that was, I guess, a theme that I found when listening back to this interview uh, with the former editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan that a lot of what she's saying is true, and a lot of what she's saying is and was really important for women back then. And, and there are things that we, as you know, women of the 21st century, should be very grateful for. But if you really listen closely, you're going to hear some, I would say, problematic sound bites. So let's listen to the next. You say, how can you be afraid of sex? The last time I looked at the, no at the illegitimacy numbers, at the numbers of out-of-wedlock birth, or you're going to say... So what to that? Or kids having kids? I could not possibly say so what to that, nor could any sane, All caring right. person. And I guess I was being subjective again in talking about grown-up sex. Okay. Sex for teenagers, to me, is anathema. And having no child of my own, I've always thought what I would say to my daughter and that would be that sex is the most wonderful thing there could be. It's fantastic. Would you just kind of wait for a little bit? I'm going to tell you a couple of reasons why you should. I think anything under 20 is too too soon to be having sex. You're with... a prude. Right. <laughs> you can do a lot of other things. You can have orgasms, but you shouldn't be having bumper-to-bumper -bumper sex. And the illegitimacy rate is horrendous, and I am working on behalf of trying to do something about that, very active with the National Abortion Rights Action League, which is trying not only to keep abortion legal, but to keep young women from participating sexually too soon. But we were talking about what's bad in the country. Of course, illegitimate births. It's outrageous. I can't, I can't bear it. It was almost better to grow up in Little Rock, Arkansas, where you were told that sex was bad, mean, and rotten, because at least you didn't go to bed with anybody. You were scared. Lauren, can you believe that the former editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan magazine said that anything under 20 years old is too young for sex? I mean, we now have magazines like Teen Vogue not only promoting sex to young girls, but also promoting abortion to young girls after they have sex. Yeah, I mean, there was the article that we talked about a couple weeks ago on Teen Vogue that was telling young girls how to get an abortion without their parents knowing, like literally getting court orders so they can have an abortion behind their parents' back. Yeah, and I, I think looking at this abortion example, it, it it just shows where we have come from 
with our country. You know, we went from before Roe v. Wade to Roe v. Wade with abortion being safe, legal and rare. And now it's let's shout our abortion. And it it is crazy to think about. But also it's the 20 year old threshold is such a kind of random number to put out there. Why not 25? Why not 18? Why not 21? There's no age that a woman is ready for sex necessarily. I mean, there is definitely an age of consent. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. But it, it's it's being in a relationship. And my belief is that, you know, if a, if a woman gets married at 18 I, and she is ready to take on the responsibility of, of a marriage and she's in a, a committed relationship with her husband, I don't think she's too young for sex. And But, you know, there, there are some 25-year-old women who are out there making bad decisions about what they're doing and maybe having one night stands or, or just really not having that committed partner doing, having safe sex. And I would say in that situation, maybe she is too young to be having sex. And I wonder how her views have evolved over the years because she passed away in 2012, but she stayed working at Cosmopolitan for most of her later life. Um, she, she was someone she didn't have children and um, spoke very openly about how she found a lot of purpose in her career. Um, she was also married this whole time. She was in a very committed relationship. Um, so while she was out there promoting these um, extravagant sexual lives, she was she was in a very traditional marriage herself. Um, you know, it makes me wish I, I could have asked her, like, what do you think of the way your magazine has evolved? If your theory about the Cosmo woman really not changing so much, just the world changing around her, well, have have we gotten to a point where the world that has changed around her has actually changed the decisions that young women are making? And, and did you influence those decisions? Um, because you know, they were talking about illegitimacy rates back then. Well, that issue hasn't been resolved. And, um, you know, it seems like more and more young girls are sexually active in a way that they weren't back before birth control was widely available and so forth. So I, I wish we could ask her, like, later in her life, how, if those views had changed. I also loved how she said she was working with some nonprofits to try to address the illegitimacy rates. And so she's like trying to put a Band-Aid on the problem rather than looking in the mirror and realizing the work she's doing is contributing to the problem. Kelsey, I think you made such a good point about how her first answer of how even though the world has changed around her, the woman hasn't changed. And I would say even today that the statement is still completely true. But what has changed is the world around her has changed, but also She's starting to listen to the world about what she thinks she needs and what she thinks she needs is easy hookups and all this stuff. And and that's really, I, I think, what's causing a crisis in our young women today is, you know, we have a loneliness epidemic and, and they are feeling like they kind of have to straddle both sides of the line. I also think this shows the importance of really pushing back against this narrative and why, why this show is important and why Kelsey and I, you know, really started this show is if we can't say, OK, well, I guess we kind of. We're kind of okay with our our friends going out and and sleeping around. And, you know, I have a lot of friends that do that. But at some point, we as women have to stand up and say, like, no, we want what's better for ourselves because it's only going to keep moving leftward if if we let it. And that leads us into our next soundbite, which as you're listening, I want you to think about 
if you heard this today, would it be a problematic statement coming from a so-called very progressive feminist? The feminists in the beginning attacked, as many have, the covers of Cosmo and the concept that a woman should be a sex object? For heaven's sake, how rotten can you be to suggest such a thing? And I have said from the first hour, it's fabulous to be a sex object. You've got to worry when nobody wants to go to bed with you. <laughs> no, you do not have to look like Claudia Schiffer or Christy Turlington, but having somebody want you sexually is fabulous. Well, the feminists, many of whom, most of whom are of sound mind, I think finally got it through their heads. They also acknowledged, finally, that you could try to look as nice as you can, and it's not problematic in terms of getting ahead in the world and being taken seriously. You're apt to be taken more seriously if you look good. I love that she used the word <laughs> problematic. <laughs> is is what she said problematic in today's day and age, Lauren? I don't know. It's one of those things that it's, it is such a great area in terms of it is fabulous to be a sex object. You have to worry when nobody goes to bed with you. Like, that is not true. It, I mean, it is good to be desired. And I think all women want to look good and feel good about themselves. But I don't think you should ever determine your self-worth based on whether or not a man wants to sleep with you. I mean, that just seems insane to me. Right. And as for the sex object aspect of it, I think our generation wants to have its cake and eat it, too, in that we want to be able to wear these very provocative outfits and be proud of our figures, but not be viewed as a sex object. Just be viewed as me wearing as little as possible is actually supposed to just be empowering. It doesn't have anything to do with sex or being a sex object. And I just, I don't think women, I don't think our generation can have it both ways. If you want to dress like that, which we live in a free country you have every right to go do, that That will come off with sexual connotations. Um, you are flaunting your figure, and women's bodies are very beautiful. And, um, you know, if you look at the cover of Cosmopolitan, every woman on there looks like some sort of sex object. And then when you pair that with the text that goes along with it, clearly they're a sex object. But then on the flip side, you hear these celebrities um, getting mad when they're viewed as sex objects. And I, I just don't think we can have it both ways. You either um, dress more conservatively and reject anyone viewing you as a sex object, or you wear those provocative outfits and you accept the fact that there are certain people who will view you that way. So, Kelsey, I want to raise a situation that I think shows kind of the gray area of what this is. And I'm going to use myself as an example. And I think I dress fairly conservatively um, in general. But I, I, I go to the gym every day, right? And my gym is about four blocks away from my house. And I come out of the gym almost every day in leggings and a tank top. And I don't think it would be something that I would wear n normally, but I'm not going to change to walk three blocks. But men might view me differently in that scenario. What if I stop at the grocery store? You know, how do women balance being seen like this by men by, by dressing in ways that are appropriate, but also don't walk around in burkas all the time? So I would say if you're coming back from the gym, you're clearly not putting yourself together and trying to be sexy. You're wearing clothes to work out. And I think if you get catcalled on the street, that's very inappropriate and men should be shamed for that. Certainly, I want 
to totally acknowledge you're right, there's a huge gray area there because some women like to look good at the gym and they wear very, you know, little outfits. Sports bras, yeah, yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> to get attention. Um, but, you know, some of that, I think, requires self-reflection on behalf of women where if I am putting on this outfit, I need to ask myself, am I, if, am I wearing this because it is functional, because it makes me feel good, or am I wearing this to seek approval and attention from others? And I think if we were all more honest with ourselves, it might lead us to change our behaviors, um, not overreact if someone is giving you attention, if you put on that outfit for attention and someone gives you that attention. It might be inappropriate and you can still call them out for being appropriate, inappropriate, but were you seeking attention when you put this outfit on? Yes or no? And I think for you personally, just knowing you, <laughs> you're not seeking attention when you put on your outfit for the gym. No, I think that that's a great answer. Kelsey, can you tell our listeners what what should they take out of all of this? Like what should they they learn and, and know and, and be able to use in their daily life from this interview? Well, to really get the most use out of it, you're going to have to – watch the video that we've been working on <laughs> that goes along with it. Um, in this video, uh, we we really take a look back in, in history um, throughout the feminist movement, which actually involved a lot of a lot of pro-life feminists. And we look at how the movement did get hijacked by women who and men who were pushing abortion and pushing the sexual revolution and and how that really led us to where we are um, today. And this woman we interviewed, Sue Ellen Browder, who again wrote this amazing book um, that I, I encourage you all to read. Um, she has some really interesting and, and genuinely empowering advice for women of our generation that I think is so important to hear. And this is from a woman who is not just lecturing us about what's right and wrong because she's lived through it. She got sucked into this world. She was writing this propaganda on behalf of the sexual revolution, the feminist movement. And now later in life, she's taking a look back and acknowledging the damage that she she's done and trying to help our generation so that we don't make these same mistakes. And, you know, I think looking, hearing this interview from the former editor of, of Cosmo, you know, I wanted to play that just so we can um, try to start to understand how fast the world has changed, how feminism has changed over just the past, you know, 20, 30 years. Um, and just like encourage women to question what you read and 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 consume and and not just buy into the idea that if you want to be pro women if you want to be empowering uh you do have to do what the pages of cosmopolitan tell you to do i love that and we're going to take a quick break we are going to crown our problematic woman of the week next and spoiler alert we might have already talked a little bit about her <laughs> Americans have almost entirely forgotten their history. That's right. And if we want to keep our republic, this needs to change. I'm Jarrett Stepman. And I'm Fred Lucas. We host The Right Side of History, a podcast dedicated to restoring informed patriotism and busting the negative narratives about America's past. Hollywood, the media, and academia have failed a generation. 
We're here to set the record straight on the ideas and people who've made this country great. Subscribe to The Right Side of History on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Stitcher today. All right, welcome back. And it's now time, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And it is none other than the one and only Sue Ellen Browder. For all the reasons Kelsey really just mentioned, she is a personal hero of mine. And we are so excited to bring you her story in just a couple weeks here on The Daily Signal. So stay tuned. And thank you for listening to this week's episode. All right. I hate to say it, but that's going to be it for Kelsey's last episode in this week's edition of Problematic Women. Kelsey, thanks so much for joining us. You're going to make me cry. (laughs) I am so happy to be here. Uh, And thank you to all the problematic women out there who have been supporting us since the start of this show and everybody that has joined in the fun along the way. I am very confident when I say this, the best is yet to come. Be sure to join Lauren and Virginia next Thursday morning for a brand new edition of Problematic Women. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make such a difference. Kels, I'll let you do the honors. Have a wonderful week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal produced by Kelsey Bowler, Lauren Evans, and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.